Welcome to the Num One Podcast, the podcast dedicated to the timeless journey from no one to number one. I'm your host, Jake Shannon. All right, everybody, welcome to another broadcast podcast of the number one podcast, and I am your host, Coach Jake. Welcome to everybody out there on Instagram. What's up, David Nolan? Happy to see you, my friend. Um, everybody out there on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn. Um, are you guys are you on Twitter Spaces? Are you guys on Twitter Spaces? Follow me at Jake Shannon. Jake Shannon. It's super, pretty straightforward. Um, I've been enjoying it. It's I I I was late to Clubhouse. I don't know if any of you guys got on Clubhouse either, but um, it's interesting. You know, I'm an old talk radio guy. I love talk radio. Been a fan of talk radio. Used to listen to the whole gamut from uh, Tom Likas to Michael Savage, to Howard Stern, all the talk radio. I loved it. I ended up having my own talk radio show for three years. It was fun. Loved it. Now, this was really before podcasting had come into its own. I quit my radio show in after three years of doing a two-way, a two-hour-long two-way talk show on AM radio, uh, K-Talk in Utah, third oldest talk radio uh, station in the country. Did that for three years, but I quit in about 2014. I kind of was getting a little burnt, um, wanted to do some other things. And that's really when podcasting started to take off anyway. So I, you know, I enjoy all of it, but the spaces and the clubhouse, I don't know. Are you guys on there? I mean, if you are, throw your, your handles in the chat. Uh, throw up your, your Twitter handle and throw up your, um, your clubhouse and I will follow you guys. But, um, yeah, I've been enjoying Twitter spaces. You know, I've actually been enjoying Twitter a lot. I'm going to be honest. I'm not an Elon Musk fan. I think he's done some cool stuff. I think he's one hell of a good business guy. Although I don't like myself personally, what I define as fascism which is the merger of the economy and the state in the same way that, you know, church and state were separated. I believe that uh, businesses and finance and money and the state should be separated as well. Um, And so, you know, some of what Elon has done is what most business people do. They go after business contracts from the government. Um, I wouldn't do that. That's maybe my own personal reason why I don't like Elon. I don't believe in this... um, Neuralink stuff either. I'm not a huge fan of that. But how he has taken over uh, Twitter and made it a haven for free speech and dissent and discussion and it is amazing. What's up, Marco? Good to see you, dude. Welcome, welcome. I'm still not allowed on the scientific wrestling. Uh, we're, we have 26,000 followers. I wish I could get out there and hit those people. But the 4,000 of you or whatever I've got on this page, 3,000 people on this page. I love you to death. This is my personal page on Instagram. Now on the YouTube, I'm hitting scientific wrestling, hitting my, my um, number one coaching YouTube, all of that. So I'm just happy to see you guys. Um, but I'm talking about Twitter spaces. And today I want to talk about, really the, the subject matter at hand is I want to talk about having hard conversations. Hard conversations. When I say hard conversation, let me define what I mean. I mean those conversations that you'd rather not have, right? And they could come in a million flavors, right? So if, if this re- is resonating with any of you, I would like to go on about this. If you want to tell me like what are some of the hard conversations you've had and how you dealt with it, I know that it would definitely be appreciated by everybody else who's in here. So um, please, please, please. Don't be afraid to try, chime in. I cannot bring you in on the call yet. I haven't figured that out, but I can bring you in when you when you comment and I'll read your comment. I'll read it faithfully, whatever you post. Uh, no censorship here, no holds barred. I'll do my best to answer whatever I can. I'm just a dude, but I'll do my best. Anyway, hard conversations, right? What's up, Joseph Modar? Happy to see you. 
Um, so hard conversations, a hard conversation. Have you ever had to fire somebody? I don't know. You know, here's the funny thing. And I need to have these stats on hand, but small business is the backbone of the American economy. Okay. It makes up for like the vast majority of economic transactions. The vast majority of businesses are small businesses. Now, what's interesting is the vast majority of small businesses are like five or less employees, like the vast majority, like, oh, like 90% or more. So I like to differentiate sometimes between an entrepreneur and a business owner. To me, a business owner is somebody who can buy and sell their business like, like an asset. If you're not, but you work for yourself, you own a job and you might just be an entrepreneur. Like a solopreneur is, is really the word, best word for it I've heard, right? So if you can't sell your company, now this is just my definition. It's my working definition, meaning you have, anybody could come in like a franchise and run the company, then you have a job. You own your own job. You are your own boss, but you don't boss anybody else. So why I ask this is, because talking about hard conversations, have you ever had to fire somebody? It sucks. It's one of the worst things ever, especially because you start working with people and um, you really, really enjoy these people. They become friends, whatnot. But, you know, for whatever reason. Now, this is the, the thing is, is business relationships are still relationships. So, like these general concepts about relationships hold fast across relationships because it's broad, right? So hard conversations, I think are important. I think they're important because what they, they allow you to do is to advocate for yourself. And sometimes I think that's hard for a lot of people to do. Tell me if I'm wrong, if I'm off base on any of this, or it doesn't ring true with you, please, I'd love to hear it because I'm always open to learning. Um, but I think sometimes people don't like to have these hard conversations because honestly, for whatever reason, they're not willing to advocate for their own point of view or for what they believe. Okay. So let's, let's put it in the context of maybe uh, a significant other, because it, it, you've had to have these convert. If you've ever had to fire somebody, if you've ever had to break up with somebody, uh, if you've ever had to have a hard conversation with you know, your children or a parent, um, a lot of times people just skate because they don't want the conflict. Okay. Now what I'm going to propose here is that these hard conversations don't have to be written riddled with conflict. They don't have to be. Oftentimes they can be because the people have knee jerk reactions or they don't want to hear it or they're not ready to hear it. Um, but you know, let's say that you're, you're in a relationship and it could be business, could be romantic, could be uh, platonic, but let's say that the person is treating you in a way that you don't feel is appropriate. You don't feel is appropriate. And so, you know, it, it's not a crime, but you know, they are certainly, uh, either belittling you or they are showing you disrespect, right? Now, this is kind of what we were talking about a continuation a little bit about yesterday that sometimes crossing the line is how you find this out. I'm talking, maybe you're on the other side of things and you cross the line. Okay. So let's say you're, you have a friend or somebody and you guys are teasing or whatever and you decide, you know, okay, well, we're real familiar. So I'm, I'm going to tell this guy to shut up or fuck off or, or that he's being stupid. Right now that's going to be maybe crossing the line and you're going to see Maybe the guy will be like, okay, you say that to the person and you say, and they're like, okay, I'm familiar with this person enough. And the nature of our relation is, su is such where I'm okay with it. Okay. But let's say that the other person is not, and they're like, dude, you're, that's too familiar. You're not really in a position to speak to me that way. Now who's right or wrong? It's hard to say, right? Like if you're the objective third party sitting outside, that doesn't, it may not be right or wrong, but what I was saying yesterday 
later on in the conversation is that your boundaries are your responsibility. If somebody crosses the line and you don't like it, you need to let them know, right? So if somebody, let's say it's a, 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 in a business context and a subordinate is, tells their boss to shut up, do you see how this can change the dynamic? Even if they feel super familiar and they could say that, maybe that's not the right kind of relationship. Maybe you're friendly, but it's a professional relationship. Does this make sense? What's up, Mr. Marvelous? Happy to see you. Welcome, welcome. So, I don't know if this is even relevant to you guys, but what I recommend, something that has worked well for me, is to, to be direct with somebody. I think the hardest part is the knee-jerk uh, reactive mind, right? You ever read any L. Ron Hubbard Dianetics? I think it's actually a useful concept, this idea of the reactive mind. Okay, like I'm not talking Scientology here. I'm talking just simply like the knee-jerk emotional reaction. That is probably for most people the hardest thing. Somebody says something that's offensive to you, something mean, and you want to fucking make them swallow their teeth because it's like nobody talks to me or nobody talks to my kids that way or my my uncle or my wife or my whatever, right? So... The hardest part is then to just not have that initial reaction. So this to me, I think personally, I believe deeply in trying to be rational. This is something that nobody talks about anymore. It's like when I grew up, they also talked about like rugged individualism. These things are never talked about anymore, unfortunately. And maybe because just the way I was brought up. I don't know, but like, I find them very, very important, um, to be rational and to be, uh, ruggedly individualistic. That doesn't mean you don't, that's why I think rationality is there. So you can work with people, but you're independent and you try to do as much things and take responsibility for as many things as you possibly can as an individual and not try to make excuses or lay blame on things. Right. But I think the rational part is highly underrated. Now there's a great um, he won the Nobel Prize in Economics, even though he's a psychologist. Daniel Kahneman has this book, uh, Thinking Fast, Thinking Slow. And I love it because I, you know, I studied the mind for a long time. I practiced as a hypnotist, did even the comedy hypnotist stuff, which was fun. Um, and I learned a lot about how the mind works. By the way, L. Ron Hubbard, too, uh, had dabbled in it. A lot of people have because it's a fascinating subject. All of Tony Robbins stuff is rooted off that, the NLP things and all that. Um, I have plenty of criticisms about it, okay? Um, but that said, I think there's some interesting things uh, to be said. What is up, man? We got some people out on YouTube. What's up, Ryu Ken? Bonjour. I wish I spoke French. My French is awful. I know like three words like chapeau, chat l'orange, orange cat. <laughs> I don't even know why I know these dumb words. Merde, which is shit. I know some of the cuss words. I know cuss words in a lot of languages for some dumb reason. Anyway, um, I think that, you know, <clears throat> being rational is, is massively important when it comes to having these kind of conversations, right? Daniel Kahneman had this idea of thinking fast and thinking slow, and I think it replaces efficiently some of the old models of psychology that aren't very fruitful and are just kind of masturbatory, they're stupid concepts, and that would be like the subconscious, okay? I think you have an autonomic nervous system. And I think you have a, a, a rational mind that can make, that, that does have free will to some extent, okay? They can make decisions. I believe that the split, instead of like being conscious and unconscious, which means like aware and unaware, I think it's better to think of it in terms of like uh, thinking fast and thinking slow. The thinking slow part that Kahneman talks about is basically rational decision making, methodical crossing all the T's, dotting the I's, double-checking, making sure that your syllogisms are good, that there's no informal fallacies in your argument, blah, 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 right? That everything follows. Uh, that your statistical reasoning is sound and that you're not missing out, uh, you know, on it because of a type 1 or a type 2 error. All this stuff, that is thinking slow. It's methodical. Thinking fast is the reaction, right? Now, 
unfortunately, sometimes when we want to have a hard conversation, we have to have a hard conversation because it, there's something needs to be addressed. And when I say it's hard, a lot of people don't address it because it's difficult. And then the shit festers and never gets better. Right. So um, my point here is that when somebody offends you or does something wrong or whatever, your first goal is to control your reactions, to control the reactive mind, the quick, the, the fast mind, the knee jerk, and try to go into the reasoning, the rational, the mind where you're thinking about things, right? Being open to the data and listening. That's the first thing, because if you just knee jerk react, you're going to cause way more problems, probably. Whereas if you take it back and you think about the data that was presented and then strategically lay out your plan and the reasons why, you're likely to do better, right? It's like a cal- taking a calculated risk. Um, Ryu Ken says, becoming the observer. So yeah, stepping back a bit so you can really understand uh, the situation and think not with heat. It's not, so I think what happens in the world is we have these vestigial, these things left over from our wild days when we were cave people or whatever, where you had to react. It was life and death, man. If a bear shows up or a saber-toothed cat or something, man, you got to react or you're going to get eaten or killed. Well, when you're having a business or a romantic conversation or a, a platonic conversation and you have to have a hard conversation, you're not necessary. I'm not talking about those times when you have to just react. I'm saying that since you don't have to, don't step back, try to think and be rational. I think that's the first part on making sure that the hard conversation, even though it's a hard conversation, going to be awkward, not going to be fun, is still ends out in the positive, at least for you and hopefully for both parties. That's that's usually what needs to happen, in my opinion. It should always try to be a win-win uh, situation. So, first thing, don't react. You need to have all your points in line and your arguments and your reasoning. The second thing is, is that once you have thought things through, that you communicate. Now, I talk a little bit about this during a, a talk I did. I referenced this yesterday, too. You can go to YouTube or go to no1.ninja. It has all, It's the archive of all the shows. You can get back. You can listen to it on Spotify. You can listen to it on YouTube, whatever. But I have a show on mental self-defense, right? And the first tier of mental self-defense, this is my concept, is meditation, being able to focus, being able to control your own mind. This is very similar to what I'm telling you to use with regards to hard conversations, this mental self-defense. Then the second thing is to think critically using the informal fallacies, right? Now, this may be hard because the person you engage with, you know, if, if you're in, in high school debate, like in forensics, as it was called back then, this debate club stuff, you know that, you know, the first couple rule, like the most important thing is define your terms. When you're discussing, make sure that you both agree on the context and the definition of the terms you're using. But that doesn't happen in like a normal conversation off the street, especially a hard conversation, especially one that might be charged with a lot of emotion. Does that make sense? So, you know, the challenge is going to be to not be lazy and to train yourself to have presence of mind, focus and get into the, don't react. The second is to think critically. When you make these points to this person where they've crossed a line or a a boundary with you, don't attack them personally. They made a mistake maybe, okay? Don't attack them personally, attack the behavior or attack what it was that was bad. Okay, try not to fall into into blame or anything that would violate the informal fallacies of logic. Those are the best ways to communicate, by the way. This is when I talk about rationality. I'm not necessarily talking about like mathematics or symbolic logic, which I think are important, maybe in other terms. But I'm talking about like when you're having a conversation with somebody in particular, a hard conversation. Okay, the second, the third thing is, is okay, first thing is don't react. Second is apply logic and reason to defend 
your boundaries to, to explain to the person what they've done that you don't like and you don't want to have happen any further, right? Now, I think the third part is, is to actually be able to engage with the person in such a way that they hear you. You have to confirm that the message sent was actually received. That again is just like defending your boundaries is your responsibility, not somebody else's. This is what drives me nuts with all this pronoun stuff and and all that. Like, it's fine. I, you know, I, I do not have, I'm an individualist. I don't, I judge people based on their merits, right? Not on whether or not they are of color, a gender, uh, how they want to identify, none of that, okay? But at the same time, I make that assumption about people, but I don't assume them to know that about me. Like if you say something like, ma'am, you dropped your wallet and they're like, did you assume my gender? Hey, I'm helping you. I'm like, you could have lost your wallet. Really? Like you're going to get on me because you look female or I thought so. I don't mean offense. I didn't call you a name. I said, ma'am, um, you know, to that extent, I, I think, I don't think that you're defending a boundary at that point. That's just my perspective. Right. But in the same way that you have to defend your own boundaries, when you make a communication, it is your responsibility if you want to be heard. Otherwise, why the fuck are you communicating, honestly? But if you want to be heard, you have to make sure that you're communicating at a level at which the message is received. And sometimes that means you have to actually ask them, can you maybe repeat back what it is that I'm trying to say to you so you, so I feel that you actually understand what I'm saying? When you start doing these kind of things, it makes it a lot easier to have these conversations. I also think that it's important to, to get her done right away. Just rip the Band-Aid off, right? I'm not being crass here. I'm just making an example, okay? I'm not comparing humans to animals or anything like that. And I don't think there's anything wrong with it. Some people might, but dude, you just got to preface everything this day. People are so sensitive. The point I'm trying to make here is that like, if I had a dog and it peed, on my brand new carpet, but I reprimand it six hours later, the dog is not going to really make the connection. It might in a little bit of a way be like, oh yeah, hmm, I kind of pee. Well, you need to do it as soon as possible, right? Like the second the dog pees or, and again, I'm not being crass. I'm just using an example, but let's say that somebody pisses you off. Somebody's in your face doing stuff. You need to tell them, hey, don't talk like that to me. Okay, like I'll sit here and listen and you can say it with a smile like, dude, don't talk to me like that, man. Right. Because you also have to defend your boundaries. Nobody else is going to do it for you. That's your responsibility. Okay. And so that's also like shows if somebody is talking to my wife disrespectfully, I'm going to pipe in. Do not. I mean, now I respect that she can stand up for herself and all that. Don't don't get me twisted. But what I'm saying, if, if I see it and I'm like, I don't want to hear you talking to that person that way, you're going to have to not do that in my presence or I'm going to keep checking you because that's just how that's going to go. It's not appropriate. Does this, I, I, I don't even know if this is making any sense. Ryu Ken's got something. He says, uh, expectations potentially cause our, well, dude, expect, dude, I could do a whole show on expectations. Uh, expectations are so crucial with regards to how people, it, whether people are happy or not, right? So um, personally, I don't think, and I talked about this on that uh, myth of happiness and divine discontent show I did last week. I don't know that happiness is the place to be. Um, I think there is something important about being discontent because it drives you, uh, makes you want to achieve more and become more and fulfill your potential. I think that is more important than being happy. I think happy is a byproduct, not a goal per se. Okay. Um, it, uh, happiness is the result of achieving a goal, but not a goal in and of itself. Now people may argue, I'm just, I'm not telling anybody how to live. I'm just saying what I think is important. Okay. But expectations, right? You, the whole key to expectations, in my view, you can have high expectations that something will happen. You could have low expectations that something will happen, but I think the best option is to have your op, uh, your expectations properly calibrated to reality so that your expectations are what tend to happen. 
That's the sweet spot. That's what I've endeavored for my whole life. That's why I'm an advocate of reason and rationality, because I think that is the best way to use logic and reason based upon evidence and facts to best create the best working model of how the world works that you can. Does it mean it's infallible? I'm not saying anybody here has got the power of God. Maybe you do. I don't know. But or maybe you're psychic. I don't know. But like what I'm saying is that once you get dialed in, I mean, I wrote a I wrote a book in 2009 that predicted the medical fascism that we're having today. I believe that is because I was looking at data and facts that other people were not looking at, mostly um, medical licensing and the result of iatrogenic harm, which is death by doctor, those statistics. Nobody was looking at that 10 years ago. I was. I wrote a book. It's time printed in space and proof, right? I, I also predicted that the, the, tea, the Tea Party would be taken over by neoconservatives. I wrote a whole book about that. Um, so I don't say, I don't think that I'm a prophet. I don't think that I am psychic. Maybe. I mean, I don't know. I don't think I am any of those things though. Personally, I believe that I have looked at the data in a non-contradictory way, applying reason to a lot of data on some things and been able to extrapolate. And that's why my expectations have tended to come true. I don't know if that makes any sense. That's not... That's not being um, a psychic or a prophet or anything like that. That's having your, your expectations really calibrated with how the world works. Does that make sense? So, so anyway, this also goes for conversations, like a hard conversation. If, if I have to have a car, hard conversation with somebody... Even though it's hard, and maybe the person offended me, maybe the person has zero respect for me. I don't, I mean, that's fine. Like, they may not. I, I could just tell you this, that like, and this is for you too, the most important person you need to have respect for is yourself. And that's not a faked respect. That's because you have done the right thing when nobody else is looking. Because guess what? You're looking. That's how self-esteem, self-respect works. So now... You know, this is just the fact. If you're going to make big moves, Grant Cardone talks about this all the time. That guy is bigger than life, dude. He's everywhere, omnipresent, make crazy money, crazy successful. He's got a lot of haters and he talks about it. And this is just something that you have to realize. Like, I know that Grant is right with himself. I know that he is very serious about his ethics and morals and being transparent. And so when he is out there and people give him a hard time, he has no problem because he respect, he knows that he's a good person. Doesn't mean he's, he, I don't think Grant even thinks he's infallible. Um, he, he's a pretty straight shooter, right? But he calls it, I can't remember what he calls it, but the ability to predict is the hallmark of being a professional. And this is exactly the same thing. I'm just using different phraseology, right? That, you know, you are able to make predictions or whatever because your expectations are in tune with reality. Um, Ryu says, yes, and nice. Thanks, bro. And then asked, what are your book's names again? So the book that I'm referencing that where I, uh, in 2009, uh, talked about this. Yeah. Pattern recognition. So there's, there's, so in statistical reasoning, pattern recognition, um, is prone to two different types of errors. Your people who typically call themselves skeptics and are always, always using the term conspiracy theory uh, or theorist dismissively or like an insult, they tend to focus on what are known as type one errors. Okay. That's like false positives. However, what they miss and they're incomplete, and this is the opposite, like a conspiracy theory person is only looking for type two errors, which are um, false negatives. So you can have a false positive in pattern recognition. You can also have a, a false negative. And again, like Democrats and Republicans, these people fucking bitch and moan, but they're not integrated. They haven't looked at the complete picture of avoiding both type one and type two errors. And in fact, I tend to side more with the people who look at type two errors, the conspiracy theorists, because let me just give you an example. If I have a type one error, your most common one that I think everybody realizes in terms of pattern recognition 
is, is false positive is like a pregnancy test. You're, 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 you know, if it's you or maybe it's your girlfriend or your wife or, or your sister or somebody, they pee on a stick and it says you're pregnant, but you're not actually pregnant. That's a false positive. It's giving you a positive reading, reading that's false. That's not right. Okay. That can ruin your day. <laughs> Certainly. That's a problem, man. Oh my God, I'm pregnant, blah, blah, blah. And you're not pregnant. But then you go and you take another test, gives you a good reading. You take a couple more and you get the right reading. You're like, oh shit, I wasn't. Okay. The worst was just the anxiety of thinking something was happening when it wasn't. Okay. That's the people that are like, oh, you conspiracy theorists, blah, 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 blah. Okay. Type two is when you pee on the stick, false negative. You pee on the stick and it says you're not pregnant, but you are pregnant. That could be very dangerous because now, oh, I'm not pregnant. I'm going to go drink. I'm going to go smoke. Next thing you know, you've got fetal deformities and because you got bad information, because you dismissed something, because you got a, because, because of type two error in inferential statistics, inference, not deductive reasoning, which you also need to know how to handle, but like errors in deductive reasoning. But this is the one where a lot of people don't know is errors in inferential statistics and in inductive uh, reasoning. Okay. Deductive versus inductive. Anyway, <laughs> I don't even know if this is like relevant to your point, my book. Uh, so in 2009, my first non-wrestling book was called um, Anomaly, Revolutionary Knowledge in Everyday Life. And it's based upon um, a, a very small subsection within the philosophy of science, within epistemology, which is in philosophy, the theory of knowledge. How do you know what you know? Is They're trying to answer that question. And I really take a deep dive into anomalistics, this idea of... Uh, really looking at the world with a concern for both type two and type one errors. And then through the book, I look at a bunch of things where the data supports it, despite the fact that the predominant paradigm has not shifted to accept these anomalies, these things that, that stand out from the pattern that a lot can be ignored sometimes wrongly. And that I'm making the case in that book that they shouldn't be. If that makes sense. So now that's anomaly. A lot of this material, particularly all the stuff from anomaly, I've actually put up for free at a website called mentalselfdefense.com. You can go there and a lot of this material is there. And it's about thinking how to think, that kind of stuff, okay? Um, so let's see. Jonathan Renault, what's up, my brother? Robinsonoff said... Uh, you can salto or you could suplex from here. You pronounce salto. Uh, it's French from high jump, but what does that mean in wrestling? Okay, so a suplex is when you take somebody back, right? It's more a lot of back arch. A salto is more like an arm spin. It's to the side. The language, I don't, I, you know, I'm not like souple and suplex, like all these French terms. Dude, I'm going to have to defer to you on the etymology, like the the roots and the, and the cognates and whatnot in the linguistics. I don't know, but that's what he meant. Um, in conversation that it was more of a side angle, like a, like an arm spin that you see in Greco Roman. I don't know if that, <laughs> I don't know if that help, it helps. And then Jonathan says, uh, also love your content. Thanks, bro. I really appreciate that, man. Makes me, uh, continue to want to do this. Ryu Ken and said, uh, wow, I need to find your book. Just go to mentalselfdefense.com. And, um, and Jonathan says, thank you. Yeah. So, uh, right. You can go to mentalselfdefense.com and you can read a bunch of the different articles. They're up there for free. Um, I, some of the books that I don't have, there's some of my books that are not up there yet. I just, there's only so much me to go around. I'm trying to hire more people to, to help. Um, so maybe, you know, I'll flesh a lot of this out, but anomaly is mostly up there, but, um, you know, endonomics, in that, in 2011, I predicted the end of the United States as we know it in 2025, and damn right, doesn't look like I'm going to be right on that one, unfortunately. Um, mostly that was based upon looking at um, the General Accounting Office, the Congressional Budget Office, uh, projections for when the United States would be bankrupt, and then walking through what that would look like once um, we are no longer able to pay the interest on the national debt. You realize, of course, well, you probably don't, but... I'm going to let you know 
that your income tax at this point goes straight just to service the, the interest on the national debt. All that money gone, 40% of your, your income in some cases for some of you, depending on your tax bracket, gone just to pay interest on debt from generations prior. And there will be a come a day when the interest, because it keeps growing and the we keep taking out loans and stuff, and the interest on that is going to become more than what could be paid. And, you know, when that happens, you're in default. That's it. Like any, any loan instrument, you will be in default. And the United States is headed for default, default between 2025 and 2030. And so now you have to ask, what is the history? What happens when a company defaults on its debt? What, what befalls the people? That's what I cover in this book, Endonomics. Uh, you can go to, uh, it's like economics, but I put, trying to be clever, I created a portmanteau. There's a French word for you. A combination of two words to create a new word that never existed. End, meaning the end, like the study of the end of an empire. Like, what is that? Uh, especially when you're looking at um, metrics. And so I wrote that book in 2011. Uh, that, that's another one, Endonomics. You can, these are all on Amazon. Uh, anomaly, endonomics. Now the one about the Tea Party, um, that one, man, I was mentioned, a lot of people took up my thesis on that one and it proved out to be right in the end. I need to write like a, an updated version to show the statistics uh, that the thesis was proven right when I wrote it in 2010. Uh, you know, the, the Tea Party that started in 2010 was in direct, was directly named Tea Party because it was an homage to the Boston Tea Party, which was they dumped all the tea in the harbor because of the unfair tax pro, uh, programs that were happening in the colonies. Do, do you know this story? A lot of people just fucking have these dumb stories from when they were a kid. But the real story um, of the Boston Tea Party was that um, there were colonists here in the States doing business, merchants, right? And they were selling. Well, the King of England taxed all their tea. So anytime you bought and sold tea, you had to pay a tax that went to the king. Well, guess what? The British, British East India Company would bring their tea and the king would be like, hey, well, that's mine. So you don't have to put a tax on it and it's cheaper. And so they were like, this is fucking not fair. I have to charge more for my tea. And so everybody's buying this British tea because they don't have to pay tax on it. That's bullshit. And it is bullshit. And they fucking dumped all the tea into the Boston Harbor. Over tax. Okay? So, anyway. Uh, <laughs> I'm totally going down all these crazy-ass rabbit holes today. I don't even know if any of this is useful to you guys. Um, um, but, so, endonomics. Well, the Tea Party uh, was a originally a tax protest right? The original Tea Party. And so the 2010 Tea Party, largely a result of the Ron Paul, uh, famous libertarian who ran on the Republican Party uh, ticket for president and had enormous groundswell, lots of popular support. And um, Teocon shows how the establishment takes these dissenting groups and infiltrates and it's called deturnment. Again, another French term from, uh, oh, what are their names? Can't remember the name of the, the protus. But they, they detour, they deturn, they deturnment of, um, of, uh, of the original thing. And they go inside and manipulate and change it into something else. And that's what happened with the Tea Party. So it was the neoconservatives, which are basically like um, the big government Republicans. They're very much aligned and in the same milieu as the neoliberals um, like the Clintons and the Obamas and stuff. That's why when Obama took over from Bush, nothing changed. We just had a different spokesperson. It was Bush with a fade, right? Same policy, still bombing poor people and all this nonsense. Anyway, um, they infiltrate and, 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 and tweak it to where now they turn it to where it's fits their agenda. And that's what happened. The Tea Party went from kind of a, a libertarian tax protest group 
into this John McCain bomb Iran. Remember that bomb, 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 bomb Iran shit? Um, and they did that. And it's I detailed that whole thing. And then other people verified it later, but I did it in real time. In fact, I predicted it. Um, but again, that's just because of expectations. Now, we're, okay, so we kind of got off a little bit with regards to having hard conversations. Um, Jonathan Renault says, um, love the classical liberal American libertarian stuff. Yeah, you know, what I like about it um, is that it makes life, like, as a moral system, it, it's, uh, it's pretty nice because it posits the idea of consent as the central arbiter of um, ethical relationships. Now, you know, that's a broad oversimplification, but, like, once you take that one principle that that the consent is important. You can see it ripples out. And we see it, you know, not just in uh, like uh, classical liberal philosophy or in American libertarian philosophy, but we could see it ripple out um, practically if we take labels away that this idea of consent, you know, we can look at it from a feminist perspective. We can look at it from, from medical ethics and informed consent. Like it's a critical, crucial, central thing, no matter what the label you put on it, um, voluntarism, um, consensualism, libertarianism, I, I, whatever, like, but I think it's crucial. Uh, and that's why I, I, I like business because business is, uh, like expressing your life through the idea of consensual relationships and positive sum games or win-win scenarios. Right. I think I've explained that, uh, ad hominem or ad nauseum <laughs> on this, uh, on this um, uh, podcast. But anyway, that said, how many of you guys that are tuned in right now have had to have these hard conversations, right? To me, that is um, something that you shouldn't hesitate and you shouldn't put off. If there's like your best bet again is to try to rein in your reactive mind so you don't cause problems and you can stay focused on the issue at hand, the hard conversation, the only thing, don't get sucked off onto all kinds of other stuff. Rein in your own emotions so you can stay focused and, and deal with it for your own sake so you feel better. Second, make sure you abide by the rules of the informal fallacies of logic and try to encourage the person that you're having the hard conversation with to respect those rules as well, right? Um, and And... and Third, try to think about how best you could create a positive situation, even if it's a hard situation. I, I think a lot of people, most people don't even think in terms of the type of games that there are. I mean, simplistically speaking, I mean, positive, negative, and zero. Like, there are so many times I think people think, think things are a zero-sum game when there are actually uh, plenty of positive-sum game options available where both people can walk away having been better for it, the, the conversation. Does that make sense? So, uh, guys, any questions for me? Because we're rolling up on 43 minutes of me bullshitting again here. And so uh, I want to open this up. If you guys have any questions for me, just type them in the chat. Um, that could be on Instagram. That could be on Twitter, YouTube, Facebook. I think I'm even on Twitch. What else am I? I'm on like almost every platform. Uh, that I can be on. I'm on Spotify. Although Spotify, you you can't really respond in the same way. But if there's anything that I can help you guys with, I am here. That's why I do this. It's like like uh, office hours or something. I don't know what the hell you call it, but I'm just making myself available to you guys to, to be open and help you guys with anything. And honestly, if you guys could help me, if you see where I'm mistaken on something or you have a good, uh, I'm open to everything. I'll listen to it. Now, whether I'll agree or not, I don't know. But, I, you know, I've changed my mind a million times in my life because people have said, well, have you thought about this or thought about that? And it's like, you know, oh, maybe they're right. You know, like I remember uh, in college, I was uh, like your typical, I, I think I was 19 years old and was your typical kind of coffee shop intellectual Marxist uh, because I hadn't really had somebody teach me this stuff. And I got into some de debates with a friend of mine. Uh, over the nature of, of capitalism and business. And he convinced me 100% so far that I'm like, dude, 
I am like abandoning that because I think this is right. It's not about you winning or me losing or me winning and you losing. It's about this is the fact <laughs> and I'm going to go with this. So um, anyway, I appreciate you guys. I hope you guys have a fantastic um, uh, Christmas, man. This stuff's coming up. I well, hope you were able to, to buy everybody in your life everything that they deserve. I, that's what I hope. I know that here's another thing I want you guys to take take from this, okay? Like, you don't have to participate in the recession. Turn off the fucking news. Don't. Seriously, don't engage. If you see it on Facebook, just get off Facebook. Just work. This is how you don't participate in a recession. You bust ass, you be creative, you go and you try to find and be of service to other people. This is what I just don't understand about most people who don't understand like small business. It's just about finding a way to help people and then helping yourself in the process. It's like the greatest thing in the world, right? Truly. Um, oh, we got Jonathan here uh, asking a question. Says, uh, sorry, I didn't see it, Jonathan. Says, any upcoming specials on your scientific wrestling discography? My Canadian dollar sucks. Um, yeah, I don't know, man. Like probably not to be honest in terms of the content, I priced it all pretty doggone low and I don't really change price. Um, you know, honestly, because of inflation, they've gotten to be better and better deals <laughs> over the years. I mean, I haven't changed prices. I don't, I'm not a person. My personal belief is, is that, um, trying to sell per, a person by reducing price is is a is a journey to zero eventually. I don't think it's the right thing. I think the key to things pricing is value, to making sure that the value exceeds the price. Um, and it and if people aren't buying your stuff, it's because you have not been successful in explaining why you believe that the value is such that you can demand that price. Um, so I'm sorry, nothing on the discography. On, on any of the library stuff, it's all relatively, I think it's affordable. Um, how, you know, now BJJ fanatics, they love to discount shit. You just got to wait like a day and it'll be on sale again. Um, so any of my, uh, any of my stuff on BJJ fanatics, if you go to the scientific wrestling uh, blog, which is just scientific wrestling.info, scientific wrestling.info. Um, I have on there all of the um, catch as catch can and folk style stuff that I believe is great off of, BJJ fanatics. So I've kind of got a curated list and you might find something there where my emphasis is now um, with scientific wrestling is in live training is in live events. Uh, honestly, cause I think it's important to, to make sure that th this is a living sport that we are doing live events. That means um, training camps uh, and competitions mostly. So I do have specials on that right now. There's a season pass that you can just scientificwrestling.com slash season pass. And um, we do, last year I think we did 15 different training events. And I, I can't, I, I, I'm not sure the exact number of competition events, but the season pass is a great way for you to get in. I think it's 30% off um, because just like, if you're doing a, a lift, like skiing, a season pass, it says, listen, man, you can be a regular, you're going to show up. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take care of you. And so they give you the discounted rate. I, I don't know if that, if that helps. Let's see. Jonathan, let's see here, says, I found two of your three DVDs online for free, uh, but I'd rather support you. You don't have to delete it, man. Everybody pirates. But yeah, dude, if you could support and pay for it, that'd be freaking rad because uh, otherwise it's theft. <laughs> so I hate to break this to you, it probably won't affect me, um, but if you steal, it, it affects you. That's the trip. That's the trip because you know you're a thief. That don't sit well. I, I don't know anybody that respects a thief except other thieves. Uh, and even then, I don't know that that's respect. Uh, Ryu Ken says, blessings. Coach, thank you so much. Um, Jonathan says, uh, I own all your BJJ fanatic stuff. Time to save up for the rest. Um, listen, man, like I'm going to tell you something. Um, so you're in Canada, dude, 
this was this is something that I think everybody needs to hear. It, it, just like you don't have to participate in the recession, dude, income solves all problems. Stop trying to get everything for cheap. Try to make more money. And and like I said, making more money means just making yourself valuable. I told you that price is just a reflection of value. So if you're not getting the price that you deserve for your wages or whatever, you're not presenting enough value. Or maybe you have the value, but you're not telling people. That's what selling is. Selling is educating people on value so they understand why you charge the price you do. I don't know if that makes sense. Uh, Jonathan says, thank you for your time. Of course, man, that's why I'm here. Office hours, I guess that's what I should call it. I don't know. It's a little pretentious, but... Uh, one of them is on YouTube. Oh man, send me the link, please. Um, yeah, piracy is a bitch. We're, uh, you know, so the UWFI footage, dude, I spent thousands of dollars, my dollars I spent and, and to, to digitize remaster uh, hours of posting and writing about it on scientificwrestling.com. I have the, the rights, the license, the actual legal rights to use that. I went through that expense, that trouble. Um, and I even post them for free on the site because I want to draw people to my website. So maybe with all that free content, they might support me and give me some money because I got braces and college to pay for and cars to buy for my 16 year old. Like I got to live with this too, right? Like I'm not, a, this ain't communism. So um, anyway, um, and I can't stop all that piracy. I hear constantly have people being like, dude, this is pirated. That's pirate. I mean, it just sucks, dude. There's a lot of, um, I don't think it's a majority. I think it's definitely a minority, but there's 8 billion people. So there's a lot of shitty people, even though they're in the minority, there's a lot of shitty people that do that. So I appreciate it, man. Um, uh, yeah, do me a favor. Um, like just DM me the links and then, or report them. You can just simply be like, report, I know this is not your content. That would be cool too. Anybody. Um, it is what it is. It can't be stopped. And, uh, you know, I don't have any expectations it'll ever go away. But, you know, it's just like anything in life. Like, again, like the hard conversations. If you just let it slide, you encourage what you tolerate. You encourage what you tolerate. So stop tolerating bullshit. Stop tolerating bad behavior. Stop, whether it even affects you or not, because at least you know with your own self-respect and integrity that you did the right thing. That's why it's important to help the little old lady across the street. That's why it's important to do these things, man. Yeah, sure, of course you're helping people, but you're earning respect with yourself. You're like, man, that was, dude, that was a nice thing to do. That feels good. You know, we live in this world where instead of fucking doing things like that, people want to get on a pill and just numb out their feelings of shame because they're a fucking piece of shit and they're making bad choices. So anyway, I really appreciate you guys. Thanks for letting me uh, chew your ear off today. And um, I will, again, because we're getting close to the holidays, my schedule is such, I work. This is another thing, man. If you're one of those people that's like, it's the holidays, I'm going to take it easy. I love you, but you're a fucking loser. <laughs> that is like the worst thing just keep working, man. Right now, you're going to get ahead of everybody else because everybody's using that excuse. I guarantee you, if you're suffering from the recession, it's because of that kind of thinking. Because you're just going to put it off or you're not going to do the work. Participation in the recession is completely um, uh, optional. Yeah, they're going to print money and they're going to do the bust your ass off, create value, do things that are important to other people. And this is where I think you know, the marketplace, which, and I hate the word capitalism. It's so loaded with pol political implications and it makes capital or debt central to the term, which is stupid because I don't agree with that. I like to think of it as a market or a bazaar or a small business because all you're doing is doing something that other people find value and such value that they're willing to give you money so that you keep doing it, Right? So, uh, let's see. So, um, Jonathan, if you, wherever you're seeing this, are you seeing this on the scientific wrestling page or on my personal page? Cause I broadcast to all of them. Just DM me there. Um, you could find me Jake, uh, Shannon 
on Facebook. You can uh, my Instagram is Ask Coach Jake. My Twitter is at Jake Shannon. Any of those places, you can email me at Jake dot Shannon at Gmail. That might actually be the best one. Is just email me Jake dot Shannon at Gmail dot com. Any and all links that you guys see like that, I'd appreciate it. Either me or my uh, one of my assistants, we can get that handled. I would really appreciate that. Um, yeah. So, all right, guys, we're bumping up on 55 minutes. I'm going to skate. Any last minute questions, bang them out now. Otherwise, I'm going to go. You guys have a great day. I'm going to go out and give, uh, oh, yeah, I want to show this. I almost forgot. So, this is one of my my, my boys, Braden Magnicary. Have you ever seen this? Look at this cool shit. This is so you can carry your gun. If you have a concealed carry, see this thing here? You can carry your gun. Uh in a concealed manner, like if you're a concealed carry uh, advocate for self-defense. That way you don't have to have a holster or anything. It's just magnetized. So you literally have your gun on a magnet. You just pull it. You don't even have to worry about drawing from the holster. Uh, If you're interested in one of these where you want to sell these, like you have a a pawn shop or a gun shop or you go to gun shows, you want to sell these, I'm in with the owner, dude. This is a badass thing. Oh, yeah, it's like totally packaged cellophane. The whole thing. I mean, this thing is cool. Magna carry. Anyway, appreciate you guys. I'll see you tomorrow. And uh, go get it, man. Go have those hard conversations. You'll feel better. And if you, like I said, if you plan them out and think about how can I make this hard conversation into a win-win where both people walk away better, man, there's few better feelings in the world than that. That You really are a master of, of life if you can do that consistently, in my opinion. So appreciate you guys. Uh, hopefully we'll see you tomorrow. Oh, wait, last minute. Somebody jumping on. Jesus Costa. What's up, bro? Do the right thing even though nobody else sees you do it. Because you see you do it. That's what I want you to add to that phrase. You see you do it. <laughs> even though nobody else is there. There may not be any camera that, that'll go viral. It's going viral in your own estimate of yourself. I don't even know. Why is this such a foreign concept? It baffles my mind, but... Uh, it's, it's a completely practical reason why ethics work because nobody appreciates somebody who's a scumbag. And if you're a scumbag and nobody sees it, you're still a scumbag, right? Like <laughs> does a, a tree falling in the woods make a sound if nobody's there to hear it? I'm here to say like you're a witness to yourself. So somebody's hearing it. Does that make sense? Um, anyways, guys, I'll see you, uh, hopefully tomorrow. I'll try to be in here all the time. Oh, 311 Roddy says, Wrestling is the art of folding clothes while someone is still wearing them. Well, maybe, maybe, because uh, but you know, wrestling you don't wear a lot of clothes. Maybe a singlet. Maybe it's the art of folding a singlet. Um, but I like it. I get what you're saying. It's clever. It's clever. I also like what's the other one? Murder yoga. I, I hear wrestling called murder yoga. That's pretty funny. Um, anyway, I appreciate you guys. Thanks for the for the uh, for the comedy in there. Uh, Three Eleven Roddy. That was really fun, man. Um, I'll see you guys tomorrow. Have a fantastic day. I'm off to play Santa, send out some uh, Christmas gifts to, to my clients. I'm really excited about that. I'll see you guys soon. See you tomorrow. National travel, it happens. Uh, athletes get it when they combine creatine, which I was, I love creatine and, uh, international travel. And that got me a bad blood clot in my shoulder. Anyway, they scanned me. They're like, hey, do you know you got a hernia? Your rib on your back is broken. I'm like, dude, I don't know, man. <laughs> it's it's not the age, it's the mileage. I feel great otherwise, but you know, I did a lot of submission grappling, especially back in the day when there wasn't like people weren't smart about it. You know how like back in the day when you get into an MMA gym, all the guys have CTE and stuff. Thank God I didn't really go hard. On MMA, I did a camp with Randy Couture and uh, Team Quest. The first camp they did back in 2000, 2003, I want to say, uh, in Oregon at Team Quest up there. And uh, I was sparring with Ryan Schultz, who's a badass, great wrestler, by the way. Uh, sparring with Ryan Schultz, and he hit me. And he, I was like a weight class above him, quite taller, a bit taller. But he landed one right on the fucking chin, dude, and... I've never been knocked out standing up, and I did not like it. I was like, dude, I just got my master's degree in fucking math. I'm not going to fuck with my brain. So that's when I doubled down 
and said, I'm just going to do only catches, catch can grappling and, and that. Um, Lyrically Indigenous says, love all your courses. Thanks, dude. Hey, cheers, man. I'll drink to that. Um, yeah, so uh, Robin says, Jake, what do you think about catch for civilian combatives? What, what does that mean? Are you talking like some Krav Maga type of stuff? I'm not a fan of that. Now, 